0: What is the purpose and the meaning of saying Shema Yisro, Hashem Alekehno Hashem Echad, three times a day every day? Why do we need to do that? If the meaning of the oneness of God is that there is only one Creator, we really don't need to repeat this three times a day. It is rather obvious and understandable that there is right in the beginning of of his works. So we don't need to be reminded or to remind ourselves three times a day, every day, that there is only one creator. So what do we mean that God is one? So let's look at some of the layers of meaning that that we find in that. God is one doesn't mean there is one God. We're talking about the one God, and we're saying that he is one. Because it might appear as if God is divided into two different uh, two different functions or two different realities. Because we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. Two names for God. Hashem is God, Elokeinu is the God of creation. So it sounds like there's God who doesn't get involved in creation. And then there's Elokeinu, Alekim, is the God of creation. So of course it's the same God, but this God is divided. There's a part of him engages in creation, and there's a part of him that does not. So we say three times a day, don't be fooled. The part of God that actually creates is nothing other than God who is the reason for creating. In other words, in creating the world, you have many stages. Because you're going from nothing to something. There was nothing besides God, and then out of this nothingness, He created the world. So there are many stages. The first stage that we can relate to is the plan, the vision, or the blueprint. God has a blueprint. He's a designer before he is a creator. So, God, the designer, then goes ahead and creates the world. Of course, the designer part doesn't do the actual creation, just like the architect who makes the blueprint is not the contractor who actually does the construction. But it's one project. It's one creator. It's just the different stages of creation. Or, in different words, the creator who creates the world as it is, meaning what we call the laws of nature. And then there's God when he intervenes. And changes the laws of nature, which we call a miraculous event, a divine intervention, an act of God. So we are reminded three times a day that everything is an act of God. There are no two realities. There's one reality. And there are two ways of explaining it. One is that nature itself is a constant miracle, which we don't notice because we're used to it. And then there are other miracles we do notice because we're not used to it, like the splitting of the sea. We say the splitting of the sea, when the water separated and stood still, that's a miracle. But then the waters went back to flowing the way we are accustomed That's like back to nature. That's a miracle too. So either everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. It's all the act of creation. So the distinction between the supernatural and the natural is artificial. It's only from our perception. It's only because we got used to seeing water flow that we assume that that is not a miracle, but of course it is. Then when we see water stand still, then we call that a miracle. They're both miracles or neither of them is a miracle. It's just creation. very good example, which you may have heard by now. What happens if you have a thousand pieces of paper, and on 999 of them, you write the word yes. On one, you write the word no. You mix them all together, you put them into a hat, and you pick out one number, and it's the no. Mix them all together again. Pick out a piece of paper a second time, and it's the no. And this happens 10 times in a row. 10 times in a row, you pick out a piece of paper, and it's the no, which is kind of surprising. The first time, it's kind of shocking. The second time, it's puzzling. The third time, it is really mysterious. By the 10th time, it may have become a habit. So if you do it an 11th time, you're about to pick a piece of paper out of the 1000, you're about to pick one piece, what are you now expecting? If you're still rational, you of course, expect a yes, because there are 999 of them versus one no. But if after 10 times in a row, you got the no, you're starting to doubt. You're starting to think, maybe I'm going to get the no again. All right, maybe after 10 times, it's not so confusing. But let's say you come out, come up with the no 50 times in a row. Now you're going to do it 51 times. The 51st time. You're expecting a yes, or are you now expecting a no? And if you are expecting the no, are you being realistic, or are you befuddled? (laughs) I can imagine a person saying, it's going to be the no. It's going to be the no. Be realistic. 50 times, you got the no. It's going to be the no again. But how could that be? You've got 999 yeses and only one no. How could it be a no? Well, 50 times in a row you got the no. So you're probably going to get it again. So you see the effect that repetition has on our senses. There are people who will swear that it is realistic to expect the no. No realistic. Maybe not statistically. (laughs) Anecdotally. So, we expect water to flow. Why do you expect water to flow? Because so far it has, in my experience, in everyone's experience. But water comes from nowhere. It has to be created out of nothing, so essentially it is nothing. Why then must it flow? On some level of science, of physics, there's actually the, the theory of uncertainty that we really can't say water flows. We, we know it does, but we have no explanation for it. There's nothing about water that dictates that it must flow. Like if we go back to the description of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Isn't that amazing? God said, let there be light. And there was light, not water. And when God said, Let there be water, there was water, not grass. That's amazing. Because what does water mean? So God says, Let there be water. And all of a sudden, there is this mineral, fluid, colorless, cool liquid. That's what water is? I, 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 how, how did they figure that out? How did the water know what to be when it was called into being? So the point is that when God says, let there be water, he is saying, let there be a flowing substance. So the flowing is not a symptom of water. It's a creation. So just like stones don't flow, and, and they are stones, water does flow, but could just as easily not. In other words, what dictates that water has to be fluid? it's the commandment god commands water to flow i mean it's just like that medrash where moshe says the jews made a golden calf they're th- they're thanking the cow for providing milk shouldn't you be grateful to the cow for its milk that's idol worship that's a golden calf. And what is wrong with that thinking? Cows don't make milk. God makes milk in the cow. So it's not like God said, let there be this four-legged animal that is called a cow, and then the result is, is a milk giving. There's no, there's no indirect consequence God had to say, let there be a cow, let it have four legs, let it chew its cud, let it have split hooves, let it come in different colors, let it uh, produce milk. And there are cows that produce a lot of milk, and there are cows that produce some milk, cows that produce no milk. And each one of them is determined and decided by the Creator. So that's what we mean by Hashem Echad God is one. The God that is involved in nature is the same God that is not involved in nature. Because nature and supernature are the same thing. The difference is only in our perception. We are very easily persuaded by habit. When we see something often enough, we take it for granted. And that we need to be reminded of three times a day. But even that is not the, uh, the, the sum total of the meaning of oneness. Another layer of meaning is that God who created the world, who is both Hashem and Elohim, Gave us commandments. Commandments that make sense and commandments that don't make sense. Commandments that seem useful and practical and commandments that don't seem seem to have any use at all. Again, Hashem Echad means they're both the same. The mitzvahs that make sense, the mitzvahs that don't make sense, they're all His preference. They're all his desire. So whether it's a rational mitzvah or a super rational mitzvah, it's a mitzvah. Whether it's a positive commandment to do, like honor your parents, or a negative commandment like don't steal. Positive, negative, it's all the same. God's will. So again, the oneness of God reminds us that everything God wants, whether it's a huge mitzvah or a little mitzvah, positive or negative, super rational or rational, they're all the same. They are what God wants from his creation. Another layer of meaning. The oneness of God means that there is only one purpose. There is only one driving force. Not in nature, in the purpose of nature. Well i put in different words. You know, you have to get a job. You have to get a job. And, and you have to be observant, you gotta, you have to be observant. Absolutely essential. What in the world is truly non-negotiable? What in the world is truly necessary? Essential. Must be. Anything in nature, anything in creation, is on some level optional. Did God have to create mosquitoes? They serve a purpose. Do they have to be exactly the way they are? Not necessarily. You have to pay your bills. You have to get a job. You have to die. Here's the question What is the imperative? What in the world is really imperative? It must be. It must be. It can't not be. Here we can have many gods. And we do. Throughout history, we've had so many gods, meaning so many imperatives. People believed in every stage, in every era of history, people believed that this must be, otherwise it's all over. And we learned that this, we can live without. It doesn't have to be. So when we say Hashem Echad, and this is is truly the the relevant and significant meaning for today. When we say God is one, we mean there is only one imperative. There's only one thing that has to be. Like we read in Ecclesiastes and in Kohelis, the wisest of all men says, for everything, there is a time and a season. There's a famous song from the 50s, Turn, turn, turn. For everything, there is a season. A time to love, a time to hate, a time to be born, a time to die, a time for peace, a time for war. What does that mean? And by the way, it says a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, how timely is that? <laughs> Actually, there's a time when you can embrace a stranger, and there's a time when you have to refrain from embracing a stranger. But at that same time, you really should embrace your family. So, for each, for everything, there is a time. What what King Solomon is saying is that everything under the heavens which means in creation has a time it doesn't have to be all the time so when the time is right for it then it'll happen a different time it doesn't happen even time itself is a creation so what is imperative? The ultimate shortest sentence that describes reality are the words, "This too shall pass." In Hebrew, that's three words: "Gam ze yavor." This too will pass. Or in English, "This too." passes nothing is forever and why is nothing forever because it doesn't have to be so it serves a purpose and when the purpose is done it's gone what has to be can't stop being it cannot end it has to be because it's real So it's not a means to an end. It doesn't exist to serve some purpose. And once the purpose is served, it's useless. It's the real thing. So what is the real thing? Oh, God. God's existence is real. Yes, we don't need to be reminded of that three times a day, every day. But that God's need that brings the world into existence, that that is the only imperative. Nothing else has to be. That is the true oneness of God. As far as creation is concerned, what do I need to know about God? That what he is after, not his existence, His purpose, what he wants from his creation, is imperative. It's absolute. It must be. And therefore, it will be. It can't not. But everything else is not imperative. So to worship one God means to worship one existence that brought everything else into existence. It means to recognize God in everything, whether it's natural or supernatural. It means to serve Him with equal devotion to the positive mitzvah, the negative mitzvah. And finally, it means that I recognize only one thing has to be, everything else is negotiable. Now, when I do a mitzvah, In the realization that there is only one true need, only one thing needs to be, and that is God's purpose, God's desire. That has to be. That is not negotiable. What God needs from you will never change. His need won't change, and your place in that need will not change. That's The oneness of God. So, on the one hand, nothing that I consider imperative is really imperative because for everything there is a season. At a time it might be necessary, but when that time passes, it is no longer necessary. Only what God needs is imperative. In fact, he's the only one that has a real need. There are no other needs except his. That is a profound oneness. That changes everything. That changes our reality. The things that threaten us can't anymore. The things we are dependent on, we're suddenly not dependent anymore. There's only one imperative. So, you know, Jewish mothers particularly would say, Abi gesund. You have to have your Gesund. You have to be healthy. Yeah. You have to. You have to be good. You have to be good. More like, God needs me to be good. His need is imperative. My need to be good? Why? Why do I need to be good? To get to heaven? Must I get to heaven? To avoid punishment? To avoid suffering? To avoid purgatory? Must I avoid it? Those are not imperatives. The only thing that really must be is God's vast eternal plan. It's going to be. It has always been. It's now time that we become part of that plan. Consciously, willingly, voluntarily. God wants the world a certain way we can make it that way. In fact, only we can make it that way. We meaning all of humanity. The human being represents the earth, the creation, the universe, because we are part of the universe, but we are the responsible part. We were given responsibility for the universe, meaning It is our responsibility to make the universe valuable to its creator, to make the universe what the creator needs it to be. And that is imperative, not for me, for him. That is a noble cause. That is an uplifting thought liberating me from my imperatives and yet including me in his imperatives. What a deal. What a great deal. I am not in need, but I am essential. I am necessary in his need. That's quite a compliment to the human condition. Of course, Jews have to serve God differently than the non-Jew. We have different roles in this purpose, but it's the same purpose. Make the universe a godly universe. And why does God need us to do that? Because if he does it, then it's not the universe becoming one with him. It's just a clone of him. So he gives us free choice and in that free choice we either bring the world to him or bring him to the world or we fail because we represent the world. So when we are godly the world is godly. When we are not then the world is not and that can't be. So. The certainty that Mashiach is coming is not because we are desperate to see an end to pain, suffering, illness, and death, which of course would be nice. That's not why we believe in Mashiach. We believe in Mashiach because the world must become what God plans for it to be, because that's imperative. So if it must happen, then it must be happening. Question is, what contribution can I make in that vast eternal plan? How can I help? How can I participate? How can I earn a little credit for having helped move this project along? This inevitable, unavoidable, absolutely necessary imperative. It's time. And in some way, what we're going through with the with the virus, it it, it's waking us up. It's waking everybody up. You hear people from such diverse backgrounds and, and and cultures, and they're all saying the same thing. Now we have to be better. Now we have to be more moral. Now we have to be more kind. Now we have to think about each other. This is what this is bringing out in the human being. One more step and we've got it. We must become better. The creator needs us to become better. And this is helping. So let's make the world a little more godly. Doesn't take heroics. We don't have to save the planet. You have to give the planet its godliness, its completion in God's plan. So summing it up, Hashem Hashem ha-chad. God the creator is all one, the only one, the one absolute necessity. Everything else is negotiable. For everything else under the sky there is a time. It doesn't always have to be. But God's purpose Hashem Echad. And that's why when we're describing the time after Moshiach comes, we say on that day, God will be one and his name will be one. Isn't he already one? Only on that day he will be one. On that day we will realize he is the only one with a need, my needs. Are negotiable. So let's do our part. Let's contribute our little piece each of us and all these little pieces will make up the total puzzle and the world will be a much godlier place tomorrow than it is today and more godly the day after tomorrow than tomorrow. This is what we mean by serve God with joy. We're actually serving God because he's the only one that really needs. And we do it with joy? (laughs) Well, why not? My needs are not imperative. So what have I got to worry about? And I get to serve him and do what he needs? There's the joy. There's the happiness. So let's get ready for Pesach with more enthusiasm this year than ever. (laughs) It's not like we have a choice. You're stuck at home anyway. You might as well get it cleaned for Pesach. Let's do it joyfully. Let's celebrate this holiday for what it really is. Liberated from all needs. Ready to serve the one and only need, which is His. I think that pretty much sums it all up. The rest is commentary. (laughs) So let's just end with good wishes. Everybody stay healthy. Get healthy. Remain healthy. Be enthusiastic about life because viruses try to drain you of that. Don't let that happen. Be enthusiastic about life, and you will be invulnerable to the uh, indifference to life, which is what a virus represents. So be healthy, do what you need to do to stay healthy, but be very positive about it. Because the world is a changing and for the better.